Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hi, I'm Bex. And I'm Laura. And we are The Worst Girl Gang Ever, a podcast and platform to support, educate, and empower people through the heartbreaking experience of baby loss. This summer sees us launching our one-of-a-kind Pathway to Recovery, course to shine a guiding light through these dark times to find out more visit our website www.theworstgirlgangever.co.uk hello and welcome to this week's episode of the worst girl gang ever today we are joined in the studio by (laughs) rachel lyons welcome rachel hello thank you for having me no problem how are you I'm very well, thank you. This is very surreal for me. This is me stepping out of my comfort zone, doing something very different. Oh, really? Yeah, I've never done a podcast before. I've never, yeah, it's just very different for me, but it's a subject obviously that I love talking about because it's been a really special journey. So it's something that is lovely to talk to. And since having my Instagram page, um, which I haven't had for very long, I couldn't believe how many people have reached out to talk about adoption. Yeah, it's amazing. And it's been quite, it is, and it's been quite overwhelming at times, really, because I think you live in such isolation, don't you, through a journey like infertility and um, that struggle. And then all of a sudden you find a community which has been there all along and I just I didn't know about this community really I I lived in quite isolation going through everything we've been through so it's been phenomenal the um sort of the response from my page um just lovely just really really lovely yeah I think the the community wasn't actually there a few years ago it's only sort of within the last 18 months two years that it's really become a lovely big community before that I think yeah. we were all bringing it and doing it on our own sadly yeah I think yeah especially um we started IVF in 2016 and um I just remember feeling like we we knew a couple of people that had had gone through it but we had chosen to stay quite private because I think partly because I just found it so incredibly hard to talk about Mm. and hindsight's a wonderful thing isn't it because looking back now I probably should have reached out to those people that I knew that had gone through it but it was just such a painful time I didn't I just didn't want to talk about it to anybody and 
then when we did announce that we were going to adopt and it all kind of all came out of the woodwork, what we'd been going through, the response from our friends and family was just, oh, it was just so wonderful. Mm. And it just made me think, yeah, I should have, I should have used this network of people around me to like help me through it. That when, when all your friends, when they found out and stuff, did it make you wish that you had been sort of a little bit more honest about what was going on from the word go? Yeah, I think, more so for my husband um because it was kind of my choice for us to stay quite private and when when we our closest family knew about it and my very close friends knew about it like three of them knew about it um but I think when when we did decide to tell everyone that we were going down the route of adoption and then obviously people were like oh right okay um we when we did tell everybody I think it was a a little bit of a shock because they just didn't know the struggle we'd gone through and I think Nick my husband I remember him saying wow our response has just been so lovely like I feel a bit I feel almost guilty that we didn't tell them what we were going through because we never gave them the opportunity to help us and support us because we just decided that we wanted to go through it as a couple but that's quite a hard thing to do yeah and did you find that people because they didn't know about everything that you'd been through did they come forward and say why don't you try this why don't you try that why don't you try surrogacy yeah 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 yeah. go and see this specialist or try acupuncture yeah yeah yeah, I got all of that and I still actually get that a little bit now um which I I just kind of laugh it off now but Mm. I do I do still get the odd person saying you're full pregnant now now that you've now that you've adopted you're full pregnant and I don't know it's almost a little bit insulting mm. for me because I don't want to get pregnant like that chapter's closed that door yeah. is fully shut and my my journey to motherhood was for me I know this was meant to be and it's something that always I actually felt very strongly about um I kind of always was just so comfortable with adoption that Mm. for me now this whole thing of like you know you still might get pregnant well it's not even on the agenda so we won't get pregnant (laughs) as if like it's it's almost as if people think it's not what you're what you've done is not good enough yeah and it's like the second it's the second best so now that you've got second best oh you might you might fall you might get lucky and um and have it but actually you've created your family like I don't know how to explain it but people that go to go and have a baby really easily have that that's amazing that's wonderful but people Mm. that go through struggle after struggle after struggle and they literally like you have taken and like Laura has taken those options to do something really really challenging or to keep going through recurrent miscarriage and then to choose to adopt I mean that baby is so wanted and so loved. Not saying that anyone else's baby's not, but you know, mm. your journey to get there was so must have been so full of pitfalls yeah. that actually to say I can understand that why people say, Oh, well, you might you'll probably get pregnant now and it will be amazing. Because mm. actually, yeah. no, because I've chosen this journey and I've I, I, and we're happy, we're a family now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it just feels like the most natural, amazing journey into parenthood for us it doesn't feel it doesn't feel second best because actually everything we went through 
we made sure we had fully come to terms with before we even embarked on the adoption journey um, because we needed to be the best versions of ourselves to be able to become parents. And whether that would have been parents through natural conception or adoption, I fully believe that grief is grief and you have to be over your grief in a well over it as much as you can be to mm. be the best version of yourself to then be strong enough to go through a journey like adoption because it, it is grueling it is very grueling I can really relate to what you're saying there because we looked into adoption and we went to the open evening we filled out the paperwork um but I I hadn't by no means come to terms with not having not carrying a baby myself and it was it was horrendous filling out those forms and and almost like I felt like I was signing my life away and and but I couldn't close that door if someone had said to me Laura stop stop trying for children you're not going to have one give up then I might have found it a little bit easier but because there was still a little bit of hope. There was still yeah, things, sure. things to try. Um, yeah, I was not the best version of myself. I was probably the worst version of myself. And that's <laughs> why I had to say, no, let's close this door. Not completely, but just for the time being, until we've explored all the other, those yeah. last few remaining options. But mm-hmm. you really, like you say, it's a grueling process and you have got to be all in, haven't you? You can't be having doubts. Yeah, it's not 100%. fair on you and your family and the whole process that you know yeah. all the people who are who are um, invested in that process. It's just it's not fair unless you are percent no. certain that that's what it's you want not. to do. And I felt as well the the first adoption evening, <laughs> it did feel like we're going to separate the weak from the <laughs> strong here right. because it is quite it's full on the, the the first meeting that we that you know the information evening that we went to it was very much like I remember them putting pie charts up on the wall of like this this um statistic of child children within the last five years had suffered this and this and this and these are the majority of the children that you know are put forward for adoption and it is it's quite daunting and it's a lot of information to take in and I do remember us stepping away and being a bit kind of silent in the car. I, I'll never forget that first meeting and the way it all came about as well, because um, we'd kind of been saying for a while that we, you know, maybe we should just go to an, uh, an adoption open evening, see how we get on. Um, and then I said to my husband, will you phone? You're better with words than me. And he did. He phoned and he was like, there's one tonight. And I was like, oh, okay. And he was like, it's literally like, it was literally two roads away from where we live as well in the church hall. And I was like, well, kind of feels like it's meant to be. So we just went along and we both came away and it was it was quite overwhelming, the amount of information that you, you take on. And then we sort of sat really quietly. And then it wasn't until the next day that we both just sort of said, well, yeah, let's let's do it. Let's go for it. And it just felt like the most natural, but also really exciting. It was the first time in years that I mm. suddenly felt like this is leading to something amazing. Mm. And I've never felt like that with my with IVF. I never ever felt that rush of excitement or oh, this could be it. This could be it. 
I never I just never got that really? I just actually, no I never did I actually I actually just I don't know if it was a self self a self-preservation thing I, I'm not quite sure but I never ever got that rush of excitement and I remember the consultant saying you know enjoy this journey it's a really exciting journey and I just remember feeling like saying no it's not <laughs> this isn't exciting for me this is actually like on so many levels just so painful because I I think I felt an immense pressure and also just I felt like such a failure I just yeah. felt you know and I and I know so many women say that and men that go through um infertility and IVF because I just kept thinking why can't I do what I'm meant to be able to do but actually I can and that's being a mother and actually I don't I don't need to give birth to be able to channel that instinctual thing that I have within me to be a mum and I think it's only now that I am a mum that I can really confidently say, yeah, I, I, you know, I'd go through it all again in a heartbeat to get where I am now. Um, You know, it's, it's, it's been a a grueling journey to get here, but it's definitely one that has been worth every second to get, you know, our, our daughter who is just everything. She's just wonderful. Oh, that's amazing. And so tell us a bit about, so why did you ha- why did you have IVF to start with? So we got married in 2013. Um, started trying for a baby um, just before the wedding, actually. We just thought, oh, we'll start trying. And I just always had this feeling that, and I know so many people say this, yeah. but I did always have that feeling I was going to struggle um, because some years before that um I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease and back in 2004 um no not four sorry seven um I had major bowel surgery that went horrifically wrong and I was left very very poorly for about a year and a half Um, and I had horrific um stomach problems where I had open wounds on my stomach and at one point I had three colostomy bags and it was just it was just the worst time of my life and I was only like 22 at the time and I just qualified as a nurse and got my first job in London and had to come back home to my hometown so my mum and dad could look after me and it was it was just the most horrendous time of my life and I remember at the age of 22 um saying to my consultant when it got really really bad um, and I don't even know where it really came from. It just it was obviously just bugging me within. And I just said, I know I'm not going to be able to have children. And he said, no, that that's not true. We don't know that, you know, like, you know, concentrate on getting better. And so obviously the next few years I was getting better, not thinking about children because I wasn't at that stage of my life. Um, and then along came Nick and I met my husband, Nick, and we are both very family orientated people and we both knew very quickly from meeting each other that, you know, we, we wanted to be together and to have our own family was something we really wanted to do. And I just always had this inkling, this niggling little feeling that it was never going to be an easy journey for me because of the state my inter- my internal organs were in, like, mm. you know, years before. And 
so when we did start to try start trying and you know nothing was really happening um eventually after nearly a year we went to the doctors and um I just said like I just is there any chance we can go down the route of like having some investigations because of my history and um we were really lucky the doctor did let us have some tests done and nothing ever came back that either of us had a problem but I always remember um one of the IVF consultants saying imagine your tubes as a railway track (laughs) and imagine imagine going through a tunnel and um it's a dark tunnel you know, and you can see the light at the other end, but as you're going through, you don't know what the track's like. And that's probably a bit like you because <laughs> of everything you've gone through in the past. Um, your insides aren't probably going to be as normal as someone that hasn't gone through what you've gone through. And that kind of haunted me for a really mm. long time. That really haunted me. I, I held so much responsibility on my shoulders that I was failing us as a couple to have a child. and. It, that didn't kind of come out until later, really, when I, you know, went down the route and had some counselling. Um, that that kind of, yeah, that what he said really stuck with me and it hurt my heart a lot. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, so I had my, um, my HSG dye test and then I had complications from that. I got sepsis from the dye. So, yeah, so I I had the test and then I went to work the next day as a community nurse. Um, I was seeing patients with um, like horrendous tummy pain and I got back to our office and I just said, I'm really not feeling right. I'm really not feeling right. And then I just like doubled over and the next thing I was being blue lighted into hospital and yeah, I had sepsis from the dye. So I just always had these really... rocky a rocky road to all of it really but even that came back fine um and then I started getting terrible pain on my left side and then I needed to go and have an an adhesionectomy um because of adhesions from my surgery from years before and the surgeon looked into my tubes again he said one was a little bit blocked and the other one I've had to snip and he said you know your chances of getting pregnant they're still okay, carry on trying, so we carried on trying. What was the length of time through all of um, this? So we started in 2013 and had our first round of IVF in 2015, end of, um, and then that round didn't work. It went, went okay. We got, um, I got eight embryo, well, eight eggs, collected eight eggs and um we ended up getting three like very good quality embryos Mm. um which oh that that moment's incredible isn't it when you get the news and um yeah and then so we decided to have two um transferred and it sadly didn't work and I I honestly thought I was completely prepared for that happening yeah and well, it turns out it wasn't. <laughs> I was I was devastated. I just completely, um, yeah, I just fell apart, really. And we've talked about this before, about how technically you, you sort of are pregnant when yeah. then it's put back inside yeah. in the right place. 
all ready to get you know snuggled down implanted so I mean it is like a loss it is Mm. a loss it's Mm. when we talk about when we say it's you know that we we imagine this life for this little positive pregnancy stick it's it's so similar it's it's you've got like a something that will become but could become a baby being put yeah whereas when you try for a baby naturally you haven't got a clue what's going to happen that month and a positive test is like oh wow it it works but to to know that the loss of that the loss of a a, an embryo going back in ready to to become this this person that you've dreamed of yeah God, that's such a loss. A heavy, it is. Heavy loss. It is, and I think um, I I don't think I fully appreciated what what that what they meant to me as well. Like they were two babies to me. Mm, they were, yeah. and um, I think it's really interesting that you touch upon that because I felt really strongly all along the journey that I feel like that loss it's not recognised enough by professionals. Mm. Um, I really honestly feel that I I rang up the doctors and um, this was with the second round of IVF and I was suffering a lot of pain and I was I had a really heavy bleed as well and um, I actually did think like I was cracking up and so I just thought I need to reach out I need to speak to the doctor and I rang up and I spoke to the receptionist and she said um, oh can I just ask what it is that you're you're phoning for and I said well I've just I've just failed IVF I need to speak to the doctor. And she said, um, what, what, what do you mean you failed IVF? Um, and I said, well, it hasn't worked. I've, I've, it, it's failed. And she said, well, what, what do you mean? It just hasn't worked or you're actually having a miscarriage. And then that really struck me because I just mm. thought, well, actually, yeah, to me, this is my miscarriage. This is me yeah. losing what me and my husband have worked so hard mm. to create and the amount of hurdles you jump over to get to that end point yeah. of having an embryo. Um, and I just remember saying to her, well, if I tell you I had a miscarriage, will you speak to me nicer? <laughs> and I just, yeah, I, I just, yeah, I just felt like saying, why does that make, what, what's, what's the difference? Yeah, what is the difference? That's crazy, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, I'm asking it for help. So yeah, get the um, doctor yeah, to exactly. call me, just, bitch. <laughs> And also the fact that it, it sort of annoys me when they say it, after IVF, it hasn't worked. And I don't know why that phrase kind of just, it doesn't feel right. No, it's I like, know, I know. It doesn't feel, you know, you've had, you, and as Laura was saying earlier, clinically, it's the most likely you are to get pregnant because they yeah. put, it's so controlled. The environment mm. is so controlled. Whereas, yeah. you know, when you're, when you're doing the business in the in the upstairs bedroom, it, it's, it's out of everyone's hands, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So to then lose that thing, that that baby that has been so formulated and mm. and everyone's working towards it, it's not like it hasn't worked. It's like it's my the terminology, isn't it? Like yeah. IVF failure, like you failed a school exam. Yeah, I had yeah. three three rounds of failed IVF. Yeah, yeah. it's, it's horrible terminology, isn't it? it yeah, is. horrible. And, and I, I really felt, and then even my GP um, said, I'm going to try and refer you to the um, early pregnancy loss, like counselling. And the referral got declined because mm-hmm. I was never confirmed as pregnant. Do you think there should be more support before having the IVF? 
yeah I do and I I also I also think that there needs to be there's a there's a gap that needs to be bridged and Mm. I think I think that there's lack of support not not everywhere I can't I can't say that because there was for me personally but I really feel like it's not acknowledged as a proper loss Mm. like that you are your 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 whole life is just overtaken with grief and you're just expected to go back to work you're expected to carry on and you know function as normal when actually you're physically and emotionally and mentally broken and you don't know what the future holds and you know and I'm that that was the nearest thing for me to being pregnant and that's Mm. the nearest I'll ever get and that's you know that that to me was significant and and it always will be somewhere in my heart but I'm obviously in a much better place now but Mm. I'll never forget that time and I will never forget that loss that we went through as a couple as well my husband as well you know it was it was awful for him so yeah I do think there is a little bit of a a gap that needs to be bridged really definitely definitely And so how, how many rounds of IVF did you have altogether? So um, we had two. We had one fresh and um, the second one was with a frozen embryo and they were both NHS. We, we were lucky to get those two on the NHS. And then after the second one didn't work, um, I, just, I just said to my husband, I can't do it again. I just, hmm. I don't want to. I just yeah. didn't, I, I just didn't want to keep putting us through it um and also what it was doing to like my mental health was just it was it was damaging and I did get to the point of of, like I really broke and it wasn't even about being pregnant at this stage it was I needed to be a mum it wasn't it just it it wasn't it wasn't about that nine month journey for me anymore um and I was able to say that quite early on. Um, but for Nick, my husband, it took him time to catch up. And there was a period of time when I thought, what what does the future hold for us? Because I'm not sure he's ever going to catch up with how I'm feeling, because he was obviously a few pages behind in this book that we were, you know, writing together. And mm. he he just wasn't quite emotionally ready to even think about us not having a child biologically that was ours and and I wasn't I wasn't sure if he was ever gonna be ready for that Mm. and I remember sitting with my best friend and saying to her like it it worries me and I just I feel like well I feel and I was so driven to be a mum um that I was just like well I'll do whatever it takes you know like I Mm. I will do it alone if I have to like I was that strong about knowing that the next step for me was going to be adoption and I remember her just saying and she knows me very well um and she just said just sit tight Rachel just sit tight he will catch up and I knew I had to kind of do a lot of healing I knew I knew that I wasn't ready to go through the adoption process and I did get really really low um and I went to the doctors, I, I got put on some antidepressants, which really, really did help me. And I started counselling. And I mean, it. oh God, I had to drag myself there. I literally mm. cringed at the thought of going, but I just knew 
I had to do something mm. and um, it turned out to be the best thing I could have ever done really um, it was just so good to talk to someone that was just neutral that just you know it wasn't my mum saying all the things that she wanted me she thought I wanted to hear and you know and as as your mum I'm very close to my mum but it, it, it they just want to protect you don't they and now as a mum myself I know that you'll do anything for your child to take that pain away and sometimes that's just not it it just doesn't help does it you just need no. to speak to someone that that can just say yeah it's really shit what you're going through yeah and you know let's try and channel how you're feeling and I had quite a few sessions with this lady and um yeah it really really did help to shut a door and open a new one and um I just remember her saying to me once you know do you feel like you could literally mother any child and in a heartbeat I was like yes that's all I want that's literally all I want Mm. um and it, it just it just became a much uh, um, a, a much different journey because I just I really had let go of that pregnancy thing I and, and actually the weight that was lifted once kind of my heart had started this new path yeah. was oh it was just it was just so nice it was actually just the nicest thing and starting to think well I am going to become a mum I am yeah. no matter what I will and I believed more in that journey than I did in my IVF journey. Um, it just felt so much more natural for me to go down this route of adoption. So by the time that you had had some counselling and were feeling better, had your husband mm. then caught up with you? Um, yeah, so he, it, no, he probably took a bit longer, actually. Okay. Um, it took well over a year after our last round. Um, and we just went for a walk one day we were walking our dogs and he just said I'm I'm I think I'm ready to start you know like looking into it um and my husband he works in education and um at the time he was working for the local authority looking up um looking after looked after children um in their education setting and so he had a lot more knowledge into yeah. you know that side of um childcare and um adoption and fostering and all of that you know he 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 probably it would probably be the same as if um we were going to embark on something medical I have I have that knowledge because I'm a nurse so it's just he had a much more realistic view not that I wasn't realistic but he just knew the facts more than what I did and so I think that understandably and naturally that made him more nervous um about it but yeah he he just said I think I'm ready and then I literally put the ball in his court and I was just like right will you make the phone call because I just thought I know if he is really ready he'll do it yeah and he literally did and then that was it it just happened really quickly and the open evening was that night that he rang up to inquire about it so so from the open evening how long did the whole process take um so we like literally un- just under a year from attending the open evening we then got assigned we had to register our interest um to become adopters and then we met 
with um, a social worker and then we were assigned our own social worker. And then, I mean, literally, it just was kind of, yeah, I didn't feel like it took that long, to be fair. That's quite um, quick, isn't it, a year? Yeah, mm. and I get asked this a lot yeah. from people, you know, wanting to know about the journey. Um, I think people, it, it, there's a misconception that it takes years and years and years, um, but it doesn't anymore because there's new guidelines for social workers and your assessment process. I mean, this was how it was when we did ours. It may have changed in the couple of years that we, we've been through it, but um, they have like a six month time limit to get your assessment process done. Oh, okay. um, yeah. So it's quite intense. You know, you're having pretty much weekly meetings. They come to your house and you get, you get to really know your social worker. They get to really know you. You can be nothing but yourself. You just, yeah. you, you can't, you can't, in the amount of time you spend with them and they yeah, get to know you. can't fake it for that long. You can't, you just can't, no. <laughs> I mean, the first time she came round, oh my God, did I clean the house? <laughs> it's literally like <laughs> the cleanest it has ever been. <laughs> um, and, you know, she likes to, they like to look around and um, see your house and everything. And you just feel, you feel at first like you're really being judged. Yeah. Um, but then in the end, it, it doesn't, it didn't feel like that for us in the end. I just, you know, they want the same goal um, yeah. as, as you. So, yeah, we started the process. We So we went, I think it was July, we went for the open evening. And then the following June, we, we were placed with, with our daughter. that's amazing and do you in the process do you like choose what age child you want or what sex or what yeah how do you how does that work I get asked this a lot as well um and that's another thing when you first start you feel like you can't say what you want like you feel like well I can't be picky that doesn't sound right and we'll get judged for that but actually it's really important for you to be as open and as honest about what you want and see yourself as a parent um with with a child because otherwise the social workers search for a child would be massive if you didn't specify age group or you didn't specify you know um all the all the certain things that they ask you lots of questions about you know what would you be happy with if you weren't open and honest and if you didn't specify what what you felt was right for you as a couple then their search would be really wide but also that child might not be the right child for you yeah. and that's mm. ultimately what it comes down to is that the match has to be right for not just you as parents but for that child um so yeah you you do get to talk about age and they do recommend for you as well what they feel is right for you as a couple yeah. um but yeah, you, you do. You do get to be very open and honest about what what you kind of expect. And so would you adopt again? Is that something? Yes. Yeah. Oh, straight away. Yeah. 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 hundred percent. Yeah. The only thing that um, makes me doubt it is that I absolutely, I love our daughter so much. I can't imagine loving a second child the same way but I know every parent says oh every parent feels that mm-hmm. way like you will you'll love that second child you will and that's the only thing that makes me yeah. feel like oh god it makes me it like, is, my heart is so yeah. full of love how can I fit any more in my heart but mm. that's 100%. a very that's a very natural feeling and I've felt that about 
<clears throat> my kids yeah, and I I'm just sure. thought, like to the point where I thought this is this is a terrible mistake because I can't <laughs> I can't Aww. possibly do it and then it happens and then you have this baby and then you you know you you in your case you adopt and everything and then you're just like bloody hell blown away yeah. again by the mm. amazing array of emotions that it brings I know yeah so, and you just feel like your heart can't fit any more love in it that's how my heart feels at the moment I'm still just I'm still just so completely in awe of this, that this has happened. I, yeah. There's never a day that I don't have where I'm like, oh my God, we are so lucky. Yeah. Like we, we are now living the dream we wanted for so many years. And I still have pinch me moments. I honestly do. I really honestly look at her and just think, I can't believe she's ours. <laughs> yeah. And how long has she been yours for? Um, so it will be two years in June next month. Yeah. And how old was she? She's two. So, um, we got her when she was three months old. Um, and yeah, we were so, so lucky. Um, we had a really beautiful adoption journey and I, that the only thing that makes me nervous about doing it again is that I'm not sure it would be as smooth as what the first time was um but it it wouldn't put me off trying to do it again um it just makes me more like a little bit nervous about it but then I think anyone that goes through adoption will always have those reservations because yeah it's that self-preservation thing isn't it you want to protect but it's not just us now that we're protecting it's it's our daughter as well you know we have to be mindful that a second child coming in you know if there's complications with that or you know it's not a smooth journey it's not just us it will affect it's her as well so I mean I know that when I looked into it the the adopted child had to be the youngest in the family is that's that's still the case so so you would have to have you wouldn't be able to have one that's older than her so you'd be no another baby Mm. okay yeah yeah, so that's what we got told, um, whether that's changed. But, I mean, it would be quite strange, I think, to have a older child than yeah. her coming into our family unit now. It would, I guess the most natural thing, isn't it, is to have one younger than her. Um, but, yeah, I we have been talking about it. We have been sort of, I guess now she's two, and it's that mm. natural kind of time, I guess, to start thinking like, well, do we want to do it again? And there's never a right time is there there's no, there's always a reason to say oh not maybe not yet maybe not yet but I think we're both starting to get a little bit broody for mm. for another mm. one and also watching her grow up um it'd just be nice for her to have a sibling really and mm. I think for her growing up as an adopted child to have another adopted child I think is quite a special thing to have a sibling where you know you're both adopted and you're you're going through that journey together as siblings so yeah I think I think it is definitely something we will do amazing oh that's awesome yeah gosh what a journey you've been on I'm so it's so nice to hear everything being so positive as well because you I don't know why but in my head like adoption it just it sounds a bit like Oh, stressful and yeah. complicated, and as you say, time like it takes a lot of time. And but yeah, yeah, I guess that there is always that. Some some people do find that 
Yeah, I think I think um, we know people where it's not been a smooth journey, um, and there has been complications, and you know it's been it's been quite a journey to you know legally have their child adopted as mm. theirs. Um, you know, it doesn't just it isn't just a mirac- miraculous. Oh, you know, we found you a baby. Here you go, and they hand you know a child over to you. There's always certain complications that um occur and there's lots of court hearings and there's lots of we we did something called foster to adopt so we 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 were um fostering her whilst we were in that first period of the adoption process because they have to be with you for 10 weeks before you can start going through the full adoption process and that was quite nerve-wracking because anything can kind of happen within that 10-week period whilst you're going through the fostering stage of it. That, you know, that is nerve-wracking. And there are instances where it doesn't go smoothly and that, you know, it can be harder. Yeah. Um, but I think you just have to go into it with an open mind and you just have to still just be very hopeful and, yeah. you know, just ride the wave of it all which is so many emotions and you Mm. know there were there were even for us going through that time it's a bit bittersweet to be honest because it's amazing that you've you know got this child that needs the love and nurture and care but also someone out there is heartbroken you know there's there's some you know it affects so many people on many different levels so it, it it can be really emotional, but you have to be quite um I just remember me and my husband, we always just kept saying, we can't think about that, we can't think about the outside world, we've got to think of us as a three. Yeah. This is what we're thinking about. And then that's kind of what drives you through. You just have to block out all the outside things going on and just worry yeah. about yourselves yeah yeah you have to because if you think too much into it you can go a little bit crazy yeah, I'm sure. you know, worrying about it all and what would you say to anyone who's listening who's thinking of adoption how do they kind of get get the information that they need so we went through our local authority um there are different charities out there that um that, that do um, adoption but we we never went down that route we just always went down our local authority uh so I would say contact your local authority um and then they will start you off with an information evening and that's that's the best way to start really go along and just learn from it and see whether you're at a stage where you think you're able to do it and if if you are then obviously dig a bit deeper and you know speak to people from your local authority that's what I would say to do and then you'll know you'll quickly know I think you'll quickly know if you're ready to to embark on it I can honestly say it's just been the most the best thing I think I'll ever do in my life it's just given me so much happiness and so much joy and if that can resonate to others out there and help even just one person make their decision of, you know, looking into it and, yeah, you know, becoming that parent they so long to be, then that's enough for me. And I just, I, I just really hope it 
it speaks volumes to people that you know however hard your journey is and how whatever dark place you might be in not being able to conceive or you know going through loss of whatever form it is you're going through there is hope and you you can become a parent being a parent's being a parent and all that child needs is love and nurture and yeah it doesn't really matter how you kind of get to that end goal physically yeah yeah I'm so glad you got your happy ending and I wish you you so much luck Mm. thank you very much with the next one yeah (laughs) dot 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 (laughs) thank you thank you very much yeah thank you so much for sharing your story as well so honestly I think it will it will help a lot of people out there I hope um, so yeah I hope so thank you for having me it's been oh it's a pleasure it's just been lovely to um you know be able to talk to people that understand it all as well and that understand that loss on another level because mm. I think unless you've kind of experienced something like that it's it's quite hard isn't it to yeah. fully get it so it's really nice talking to people that get it and this whole community out there you know there's so it's many a good people. community it's a lovely, lovely it is we'll link all of your details in the podcast description so if people want to get in touch with you yeah sure brilliant thank you all right thanks Rachel. thank you so thanks much for Rachel. Me, ladies. thank you take care, take care. Bye. thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the podcast don't forget to subscribe rate and review and we'll see you next week and to find out more about our pathway to recovery please visit our website Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel-Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.